0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world, mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking.
1: Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez.
0: Well, you've made it. You didn't think the election would last an extra six weeks, but it has. The Electoral College has spoken, and now Joseph Biden is the president elect. Many of you are all over the place online, over at Twitter, Parler, Facebook, constantly going ahead and giving your much, much asked for wisdom as to where to run away to and how to go ahead and invest your entire Roth IRA into Bitcoin. I don't know about you, but I'm in the camp of say hello to the new boss. It's exactly like the old boss. The question that we're asking today on today's episode of On The Run is this, what should you anticipate in the Biden era economy? Now, I've, I've been kind of out of it, as many of you know, I have just not really watched any of the news recently. Uh, if you're hearing this now, then you probably have also gotten the fact that I'm unemployed. So this means for the first time in several years, I really have no, uh, I really have no dog to root for. I'm at the point now where I'm just really trying to wait and watch how things go and determine my next move. There are things that kind of excite me. There are things that absolutely terrify me, but I certainly know this. It's that whatever I think up in my own mind is usually way more terrible than how things ultimately turn out to be. But then again, for 2020, we can't leave that up to chance. So I want to go ahead and bring on somebody who knows what they're talking about. Economist and writer, Mr. Max Golker, is published at the American Institute for Economic Research and the Foundation for Economic Education. Max, big question of the day. How fucked is America one month from now versus today?
1: You know, it's funny. um, I was... Right before um, right before we started talking, I was thinking about, and of course, this is what you get for having an economist on your show, um, and asking how should we prepare? What's going to happen? Um, I was thinking that the uncertainty that we that we're looking at in the next several months is is staggering, and it's not. Will the Dow go up or down? Uncertainty. It's like. You know, the unknown unknowns that, that that Donald Rumsfeld used to talk about. Um, I think some of this uncertainty may be resolving itself in the fact that we have these vaccines and no matter where people have been on, um, you know, the debate about COVID and lockdowns, it does seem like hopefully, pray to God, we, um, you know, this is going to wind down over the course of several months. Um, Of of course, how would I know that? Um, But I'm largely with you in terms of welcome the new boss. He's exactly like the old boss. Um, Maybe not exactly. And we can talk about a few of those things in a second, but um, you know, this is a continuation of the kind of, general system that we've had now for decades and you know for people who think that this is some insane lurch to the left no the left the far left of the democratic party got pretty well rebuked in the primary they they went for joe biden you know. so so this is not um this is not some democratic socialist takeover um i think you will see um you know in terms of macro policy tax policy I hope maybe uh, you're a little different trade policy. Hopefully, you are some differences emerging, but but, uh, largely I'm with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, when when I look at what's going on now, I really see the past year as much of a kind of kind of a window into what the first i I probably say the first 2 3 years of the Biden administration is kind of is going kind of look like um you know right now we're recording this before the Georgia runoff election i think that the Democrats are going to win Georgia and take a majority in the Senate. They'll keep their majority in the house, but ultimately they're still going to need to go ahead and coexist with Republicans in both chambers. So regardless as to how Georgia might go, I still see pretty much a gridlock government going forward. With that said, um, you know, I'm having a lot of flashbacks as to what the first couple of years of Obama were like. Everyone was expecting, like, you know, concentration camps and stuff like that, and just straight up Maoism. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of Obama. But at the same time, you know, what, what we see is that we're, we're not dealing with ideological people. I mean, Bernie Sanders is not there, even if he were to get something like Labor secretary, which I think in in the age of Biden, that's certainly not going to happen. Um, You know, what we're dealing with is the same type of people that like the go along to get along brand of politics. So what you're going to see is a government really much like the last year and a half or so. You're going to continue defense spending. You're going to continue all the other rampant spending. You're going to go ahead and just cram a whole bunch of little things into these massive omnibus bills, which Trump passed. All of them, and we're going to say a deal was made. Meanwhile, when you look at uh, state economies, uh, that's where I actually am afraid. Um, I'm mm-hmm. in I'm in Virginia right now. Yeah, Virginia is getting remarkably worse. We're calling it East California. Uh, I know a lot of people in the actual California that are leaving. And when you look at urban populations throughout the United States, if small businesses weren't being killed by taxes. Now they're just being outright slaughtered because they're not allowed to even work anymore. And Maryland's right, right now, they're they're going ahead and they're actually going to go and uh, ban all indoor dining for the, for the mm. next like 30, 60 days. So I see federal government doing what the federal government always does, which is go along to get along. It's when you look at Uh, state and city level laws and regulations regarding the economy, I actually see it getting worse because at least in my opinion, this stops being about COVID after two weeks to, you know, flatten the curve. Now this Mm -hmm. is just them trying to see how much they can get away with. And if they've seen anything is that they can get away with a lot and all people will do is bitch online. So do I think we're going to see a giant economic collapse because of Joe Biden? No, but do I see that we're going to get anything more out of it? i i can't really say
1: yeah i think you raise a really important point here in that this was a victory for the insiders right for the, the now now the insiders might be democrat or republican they but you know they're of a certain centrist don't change that much bent the irony is if anybody was an outsider candidate it was the last guy um it was it was donald trump and um you know i it, it, it just have unfortunately turned out that the outsider candidate we finally elected was a narcissist who had some you know um grand story about leading the nation to glory um <laughs> and 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 all of those unfortunate things um but i i think one place where you will see some difference um between these these men as president is stimulus um You're hearing a lot about um, the federal government and stimulus Um, as this transition is happening. um, I think that that under a Republican president would have been less. Now, again, back to the uncertainty. We don't really know what this is. Am I getting another check
0: or not, Max? Daddy has yeah, spy.
1: That um, <laughs> th- 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 that that I'm the wrong person to, probably to that. <laughs> But um, but we don't know what this is, and this is not a recession like we're used to having recessions. Right? This is a government ordered work stoppage. Basically, this this was not the fundamentals of our economy sucked, and you know they hit a tipping point, and we went into a recession. This was okay. Everybody go home. Um, and and so we don't. No matter what you think of that, we don't exactly know what's going to happen. When um, you know, I, I think it's it's sort of childish to expect there's going to be a ribbon cutting at some point. But people are going to get vaccinated. I think is my guess. And slowly, people, you know, things are going to start moving again over the course of months. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see. Um, if things rebound really quickly, you know, this is, we, we have the problem in general with recessions that we don't have many data points. We have a data point of one for this. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Um, and, but, you know, there will be stimulus talk in the next few months. Um, in some ways it's funny, you know, uh, general libertarian instinct against the stimulus. And I'm sure the way that Biden will choose to spend the money um will be will be completely wasteful and misallocating but you know part of me also even wants to be like you know are are people and businesses owed a little bit in exchange for having like been forced to stay home
0: I, I, I'm, um, of the, I'm of the mindset of This is the government's problem Therefore the government should have to pay me For grievances against me And for hardship and stuff like that The The problem is though They're not going to go ahead and take money Out of the Pentagon Or out of the Department of Transportation no. Or out of the Department of, <laughs> of Education They're going to do what they did last time And they're just going to go ahead and print it So like right. for me for right. example With the last round of $1,200 stimulus checks What did they do to do that? They printed mm-hmm. it So they added more, more money to the to to the pot and then what they did was they gave it to me and I owed taxes so then I just went ahead and gave it right back to them so it was right. almost like this giant self licking ice cream cone i felt good because i didn't have to pay taxes now okay. i feel like shit because i gave it right back to them and everything in my bank account is now you know 2 3% less because of how much we've added to the national debt. We just go ahead and just keep throwing it on there. So they right. go ahead and they do this. And it's like a giant magic trick. They didn't take the money out of somewhere in order to pay it back in which, you know, that would have been a feasible way. That's how any other person or business would go ahead and pay off a debt like that or pay a fine like that or something. What they did was they just printed it out of thin air and they, they went ahead and did this. Now, I, I, I'm not going to go ahead and rage about the you know, the the sins of central banks and fiat currency, my thing is that's already been done. My thing is, okay, we live with it. How do we go ahead and use it for how it should be best? And then that's a very dangerous thing to say too, because what I deem is best is very different than to what, you know, let's say a a Paul Krugman might say is best. He'll probably Mm -hmm. just say, keep printing. So it seems like, you know, anything they do, will just go ahead and just add to the pot and then we'll just go ahead and end up spending that money because Americans don't save money as is. They don't even use it to pay down right. debt when they go ahead and get this money. Most people spent it on booze and other shit when it happened a few months ago. Yeah. Um,
1: I think, you know, there, I, there there's kind of two levels that the debate about spending and debt get um, held at. And one of them would be this kind of highfalutin macro finance um, economics uh, kind of debate that I will admit I'm not even a part of. I'm an applied microeconomist. I like thinking about markets and antitrust and competition, and then you know poverty and education and all that stuff. Um, But but the other place, the other friction point with spending and debt is purely political, I think, and it's just a matter of you know, will are you as a politician. Willing to borrow more from the future when the consequence on the future isn't necessarily straightforward. Yes, it you know it's bad. It increases the probability something bad's going to have that happen down the line. Never going to be directly connectable to you. Never going to be you know. And then you have the pressure on you of three hundred million people saying, um, "Well, you better you know get us out of this uh, economic hole," um, and that type of thing. It doesn't surprise me at all that that politicians are simply willing to ramp up the debt and we can sit there and debate, you know, Keynesianism and Friedman and Hayek and uh, all we want to. But, um, you know, that's the reason it's going to go on.
0: yeah, so I mean, I I I almost completely agree with you there on that. I mean, I take it back to kind of a simpler way of thinking. I, I voted for Trump, and the main reason was because Trump wasn't telling people that you need to stay home or else you're killing people, and mm-hmm. if you want to go make a living for your family, you're you're basically committing genocide. When it comes to Biden, and, and even when it comes to Trump, we got really nothing out of these debates we got really nothing out of the discussion that people were hoping that candidates would have if anything we, we learned less than we ever had before so all i really had to go off of was what did biden support in the senate and what did he support when he was in you know when he was the vice president for barack obama and what did we see from trump the last four years it's that both of them are perfectly fine with printing money as much as they can whether you're sure. dealing with Jerome Powell or somebody else, that was never a problem. And even when it came to stimulus, you know, Trump, who was going to be the guy to cut all the fat, he might bitch about all those omnibus bills that were shoved through the Senate, but he signed every single one. And when it came to the, it's not the Heroes Act, but to the first bill that went ahead and gave out all the all, all the stimulus checks to folks, like that was mm-hmm. less than one tenth of the entire bill. Most of it went towards shit that didn't have anything to even do. Right. With it. So when I, look at, oh, when I look at Biden and when I think of him in, contra- in contrast to Trump, n- neither of them are really remotely ideological. Neither of them really have grand plans for how they want to fix solutions. What they care about are daily opinion polls. And if Biden's mm-hmm. going to go ahead and pass a bill that he thinks might push him above 50% in the opinion poll, that's the exact same thing Trump would have done. They want to save themselves today and they don't really care about tomorrow. So when it comes to that, it doesn't really hurt my head. Does it hurt my wallet? And does it hurt the future? Absolutely. Does it, you know, does it give me something else to freak out about? No, because it's just a continuation. And I can't say that Trump would have done anything different if he had been a lame duck president.
1: Right. And, and, you know, this is why we have to, and I think, you know, I, I, I've said at times, and this, this may be slightly overly dramatic, but I'll, but I'll mostly stand by it. You know, it seems sometimes like libertarians spend 90% of the time thinking and talking about the government and 10% thinking and talking about what they can do instead of the government. And it should maybe be the other way around. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I think one thing you brought up, um, that, that this is at least a, a functional segue into is Bitcoin. Um, and I've actually been looking kind of at, at a little bit of data um, on the price of Bitcoin the last few days. And of course, there's tons and tons of excitement because it's gone up. Um, and, you know, first of all, anybody who says, should I put all my money into Bitcoin or pretty much anything else is either a charlatan or somebody who's convinced themselves of, of um
0: you know, a fantasy tale. Oh, um, well, you take out Bitcoin and you ask the question, should I put my money, in, should I put all my money into X? But the right. answer is always no.
1: Right, right. And, and that's never going to change. And it's never going to be anything, you know, uh, unlike that other than in hindsight. But, um, you know, one interesting thing is I th- this, this kind of rally in Bitcoin in the last couple of months does seem awfully lot, an awful lot like a hedge. Um, against sort of bad governance and the current system, in, in in a similar way to gold, you know, gold has gone up twenty two percent this year. Um, I think uh, as of a few days ago, Bitcoin has gone up like two hundred percent because it's Bitcoin. So it's just that much more volatile than everything else, which is, um, and so you know that that that's interesting. I, I, and I think probably there more work and more thinking probably has been done um, and will be done about you know. It, it, if investors are treating Bitcoin as something serious like that. Now, the fact that it's gone up in value doesn't have anything to do with the probability that it's going to replace the dollar, which it's not. But even now, my, my thinking is always problem, yeah, positive yeah, I mean, probability. Right. Right. A yeah. high price doesn't necessarily mean a change in the global order. Um, and so, you know, it, I think i I kind of got into thinking and writing about Bitcoin kind of late in the game, and it's been an interesting anthropological experience, let's say that just watching people kind of deal with these ups and downs over the last few years um but you know i I think there's there there's lots there's lots of thinking to be done. In the libertarian world, and and this is starting to happen more and more on, you know, what do we do without the government? Right? It's not that it's not that you know we don't somehow organize ourselves. It's not that there isn't governance, even if it's it's in a voluntary way. Um, and so, you know, part of the reason I got into this whole libertarian thing is because I think we can do it better. I think we can do all that organizing ourselves stuff better. Um and that doesn't mean just taking away that means that means finding better things also um and yeah. so you know it, my I guess I say that because my only hope is that as these elections get more and more absurd um it's going to sort of open more and more people's eyes to that
0: yeah i mean i'm I'm of the mindset that the biggest factor in your life that will ultimately determine your own financial health and well-being is ultimately yourself. If you learn how to adapt to your given circumstances, you'll be fine because people in much worse parts of the world than us in the United States are able to do it. And whether that's, you know, divesting offshore or getting a second passport or trying to find new skills and resources so that way you can become somewhat of a digital nomad. I mean, the the mindset is out there. When, when it comes yeah. to cryptocurrency itself, and And I I tell this to a lot of my uh, crypto bug friends. It's like, listen, guys, if the dollar isn't here, if America's not here, then probably you're not here. Because that's just the thing. Like, yeah, are these systems bound to implode? Yeah, but I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. And even if they're at that point, they'll just find a way to hemorrhage it. And ultimately, everything comes down to trust. That's all it is.
1: Yeah, the other thing I've been reading this book, "How Innovation Works" by Matt Ridley, that I'd recommend strongly to your uh, listeners. Um,
0: What's it called again?
1: "How Innovation Works" by Matt okay. Ridley. Matt Matt writes a lot about technology, um, and he makes the point over and over and over again through history that that invention is a slow, complex, messy, evolutionary process, right? And I think sometimes the Bitcoin crowd. Um, kind of forgets that and forgets that um you know when innovations change the world, oftentimes you know the system, the establishment adopting it and being changed from the inside is part of it um, and so uh, there's 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 no reason to think um you know if blockchain technology overall is is that lucrative you know that we've found the best applications for it that it's not going to take another you know 20 30 years that would be in keeping with history.
0: Yeah, I mean my my problem with that is the same problem I have with a lot of different cryptocurrencies and you know I just want to preface that the way that the that the Trump administration was towards bitcoin if you really look at what you know, what, what What? the Democrats have said is basically the same thing. When it came to crypto, right. they were almost always lockstep. I, I actually sold all my Bitcoin and I sold it at a loss. And it was primarily this. One, I, I, you know, I, at least the way I saw it, it's intended to be a competitive currency. And until I can go ahead and actually use it at Walmart, it's not right. worth it. And I think there's a lot of deception online from a lot of these Bitcoin billionaires and all these, you know, so-called financial experts telling you to go ahead and hedge your crypto, because the thing is you have a lot of the consumer class in America, uh, you know, your, your, your workers and then your folks in the, in, 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 the middle income range that are trying to figure out how they can just get that extra step. I mean, the truth is, if you look at any of these people, almost none of them actually got rich through crypto. The thing is they had jobs with good, reliable salaries. They saved and invested smartly. They had multiple streams of residual income coming in. So that way they could go ahead and get into either Bitcoin mining or just start buying Bitcoin on a regular monthly basis. And it was nothing but burn money. Um, They weren't hedging their entire livelihoods on that. And I think that's the big issue. I mean, I I got into crypto in 2018. I bought Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Litecoin, and I was all ready to go ahead and start spending it. And are there online marketplaces where I can? Yeah, I mean, you could even do it on overstock. I I think you still can. But, you know, I don't think we're at the point where even your most, you know, even your person that's up to date with a lot of what's going on in the finance world is still that literate when it comes to this stuff. right? And and even now, yeah, I mean, just real fast, my worry right now is that, you know, it's December right now. We've got another month towards the inauguration. You're going to have a lot of people online on YouTube and on the internet trying to start telling people, you got to go ahead and put everything in here because Biden's going to go ahead and destroy the economy. So get the Bitcoin now. That's my concern. Those scammers bug the shit out of me
1: exactly and um yeah i was going to say yes you might be able to use it at overstock but even that is like a statement right yeah. <laughs> that the ceo of overstock like like decided to allow that um you know he he didn't just it, it, it wasn't just part of the natural kind of technological adoption process he's like a big time libertarian true um and uh, yeah and and the you know i see the scammers in crypto i see the kind of nasty trollish accounts um you know in kind of austrian economics that's that's unfortunately not representing some of that um so well and you know i think in the i i, I wrote something once about well um about section 230 and and free speech um on the internet where i said now that now speech is so cheap now that you know even even in the 90s even when you know it was rap groups of dirty lyrics that we had to that was support in um, <laughs> you know in court for the First Amendment like that was something that a record company was still releasing that was something that cost a lot of money the cost of speech has gone down so much that um, now here's the thing th- th- is that, is that good thing a good thing
0: or a bad thing though
1: I think uh, I think it's a good thing but I think it's a bumpy thing. So it gives everybody a microphone. Um, I don't want to be the person to say you should get the microphone and you should not. Um, I don't think that's a way to do it. I think that um, that's such a disruption in media and the way we think and communicate that we're in the middle of it right now. Um, And it looks very bumpy. But um, I think... I'm optimistic that it's a good thing. I think that if people start learning and they, sh- they should, because it's to their own advantage. It, it, if people start learning to look at disagreements as opportunities for more learning um, instead of fighting, um, then I think that would be um, very, very good and important and within economics too. Um you know, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let go of my core principles, but um, if you don't agree with them, I want to know why you don't agree with them. And I want to, you know, and, and um, that, that is not what, you know, social media v1.0 has, has really rewarded. But, um, you know, but, but, but it's something that, that, you know, we evolve and change along with the stuff that, We adopt and we've had many gigantic, you know, overhauls in our in our the way we consume media, again, slow, just like this over the course of decades. But um, there's no reason to think that, that this one won't make us better off in the end. too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting you bring up civil discourse and the ability for people to talk to each other. I, I see a lot of negatives going into 2021 less based off actual politics and policy, and more based off culture. Um, I've ne- I never imagined a point in my life where we were going to shop at certain places, or we were going to boycott certain places entirely, because somebody associated with those businesses had an opinion that I didn't like. And I I think I brought this story before when I was doing political consulting. I was working for somebody in New Hampshire, and as I was passing out leaflets or some shit like that, um, some guy who would have otherwise voted for my candidate said he wouldn't because I was wearing a Nike jacket and Nike hates America. And now, you know, depending on which way the wind blows, you've got a lot of conservative Christians in the United States that either want to go ahead and hold up Chick-fil-A to this place of almost godhood, or they're going to go ahead and boycott it because one person said something they, they didn't like. And it's almost like this is, this is almost worse because, you know, the government can do a lot to harm a business, to harm an economy. We've seen it not only the past year, but we see it throughout history. They're totally doing it. Now we're at the point where we're willing to go ahead and just completely sabotage each other. And it's like, listen, folks, I don't I do not not go to Starbucks for coffee because I don't like what somebody at Starbucks said about, you know, conservatives or whatever. I don't like it because I think they're coffee shit. And that should be how it is. Now we're at the point where it's almost like the consumers are going to willingly destroy other businesses because of something somebody said online.
1: So I think that that all speaks to, you know, if, if people thought it was too kind of head-in-the-clouds theoretical when I was talking about voluntary govern, governance and all of that, think about it this way. I think what you just said speaks to the fact that we need to learn how to answer or to ask smaller questions, right? How to not, not pose every question to ourselves as, what should we as the United States of America do about this, Right. Um, and, and that because because we're starting to get to kind of ridiculous questions like, um, you know, should should 73 people die or should everybody in this community not go out to lunch for six weeks? Um, and I don't mean to make light of that, but, um, but just um, in, in the, in, you know, the trade-offs we're supposed to make, we have to let go of that and start letting people have more individual freedom and freedom to cooperate and collaborate. And that may not that that may yield things we don't like sometimes, but that's something that that I hope at least we're going to get used to.
0: I, uh, I I talked about this on a previous epi- episode. I, I talked about what 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 the pandemic has done to the world of dating. I'll go ahead and link to that show in the show notes, folks. And uh, you know, one interesting thing I saw in there was that. Well, for people that were dating or looking for dates on like match.com, they were willing to reject a potential candidate who they would match with like 99% of the time if they indicated that they were of the opposite political belief. And I yeah. saw that, I saw that was you know, I I read that and I'm like, this is kind of crazy, but I actually started thinking about it in my own social circle. And I noticed that a lot more people are really hedging a lot more on just political beliefs. So when I remember my childhood, I, you know, I'm 26, I remember having friends with parents where, you know, mom was a Democrat and dad was a Republican vice versa, but they still loved each other and they raised a family and moved on about their lives. Now I really, and maybe it's because, you know, maybe it's because of what I see around me. I, I, I totally understand that, that might impact me between my own social circles and the fact that I live outside of DC. But now it's at the point where I don't I don't see couples like that anymore. And when that yeah, starts well, to happen, that just worries me even more.
1: It, it, we're in in a in a moment in particular where we're all sitting at home stewing rather than than out, you know, if you met that person um not on a dating app, but but sort of out and there was chemistry, you know, neither of you gonna really care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah. Um so A lot of it is, again, it's the computer screen, which, you know, to, to, to go back to kind of what you were saying about just, just um, the divisions and, and you know, it, it's good to step back and remember that you and I are doing something right now that's like brand new in history in terms of experiencing and making information that's going out there about our world. Right This is you know the the most we could have been broadcasting to or receiving from you know would have been like a pub at one point in history, and then when when you know the ability to communicate to the entire world um, came up, it was so expensive that only a few groups of elites got to do it. Um, and so and now we've seen that totally change, and we're it's like we're in the middle of it, so it's very hard to see what's going on.
0: Yeah. And I I think that's one of the difficult things about right now, because everyone wants to go ahead and give definitive answers. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I worked in, I worked in media for a while. I, I was at the Washington times and I mean, I worked with a lot of the commentators for the commentary section. And what was funny was you could talk to these people, you know, away from the public and these are the people saying that you know everything needs to be a now or never decision it's a do or die decision then you go ahead and you and you talk to them offline maybe a few days after a big you know issue or something has left the media zeitgeist and they're like yeah you know there's no way we can predict these things and i think that's the problem though because everyone just wants to be heard nobody actually wants to sit back and just say there, there's really nothing we can do because we're we're talking about, and you know, as, as an economist, you know this. Coming up with definitive answers for things and trying to come up with the future, nobody can do that. I mean, I use the stock Mm -hmm. market as an example. You can go ahead and get like 100 of your best hedge fund traders, and then you can get a bunch of, you know, like a dozen monkeys, and you could tell them to throw darts at all the stocks and all the ETFs that they think are going to perform. And between the 100 hedge fund traders and the 12 monkeys, they'll have predicted probably the same probability of success. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things you can't do. It's
1: as, as an economist, and and uh, you know, if this sounds slightly holier than thou, I I, I uh, uh, apologize. Although it's it's um, it is what it is. You know, I got into economics to learn shit, not to fight for something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, what what do you mean by that?
1: Right. So so you know. It, I didn't get into economics to convince the world that um, you know, that free markets were the best thing 100% of the time. I got into economics to think about, well, we'll what ways of organizing ourselves are better? You know, why does a market work the way it does? Now, I'm not going to get too preachy and I'm going I'm to expose myself to the same criticism because I write a mean op-ed. <laughs> and I understand that. I, you know, there, there's there's a couple hundred of them online, um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, a lot of these, a lot of these fights, both politically and academically, that we're having, I think, are really unfortunate. And I think that, you know, something I would just like to see people like mixed up in these academic departments more. Um, you know these you know most most of the econ departments out there are just very sort of apolitical, quantitative, mathy, right? I want to see you know the Friedrich Hayek scholars from George Mason in those departments interacting with those people um and and learning and and you know of all different disciplines and um, you know and, and 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 sharing ideas that can make us all better at what we're doing rather than Um, either sniping at each other or excluding or ignoring each other or, um, or anything like that. Um, and so, and, you know, sometimes I think that different groups of economists will get kind of a bunker mentality of like, we're in it for, for some kind of quest and, and, you know, that's the way the world is right now. But at the same time, it's, it's good to push back on that instinct a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I look at what's going on in in Washington, I mean, for 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 you and for listeners of the show, this is not a surprise. But, I mean, ultimately, the the biggest battle that's really going on is not between Democrats or Republicans or conservatives versus liberals. It's really people that are fighting for you know consolidated power. And, you know, somebody that typically votes Republican, I expected more out of the first two years of a Republican government. And all they really gave us was Ryan care, light turned Trump care, some bombs in Syria and an omnibus bill that was absolutely terrible. And as I look at what what Biden is seemingly wanting to do with uh, with his cabinet as he starts to bring in more people, it's really just more of the same. I mean, what I really liked was I really liked uh, I liked Andrew Yang a lot during the Democratic primaries because at least the dude was asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, what, with what he was predicting with massive worker displacement, um, you know, back back at almost a year and a half ago, I would have thought that that would have just come because of automation, which I think is a big issue that not enough people want to want to talk about because it's just uncomfortable to talk about. But, you know, right now I see with COVID, uh, even when we get vaccines, I mean, the, the biggest problem that we're going to have is habits, and, you know, we're not going to want people to have as much contact with others. We're not going to go, want to go ahead and rely on this, quote mm-hmm. unquote, essential workforce, because what we've seen is that entire supply chains can be disrupted. And I mean, like, my God, like, I've got enough toilet paper to wait out doomsday now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is very self-fulfilling, right? You hear you hear, there's going to be a run, you pick up an extra thing of it. Um, You know, it, I I agree with you that in, in some ways this is a crisis of connection and the world being connected and, you know, both transmitting a virus and in all the economic activity we have. Um, I think a place where we may come down a little bit differently, but it's it's funnily enough, it's a place where I'm angriest at Biden um, is on this trade issue and, and these um, tariffs that, that um, President Trump put Primarily against China,
0: against some Dude, other countries, do you think, too. Do you think that Biden's going to continue them?
1: No. Well, yes, for, for the time being. He, he's very not—let he, me say this. He's very disinterested in, um, in, not, in, in, in stopping them. He says—he uh, criticizes President Trump by saying, um, we should get our allies on board more. And I'm like, this is international trade. This isn't like the war in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where we're getting there. And, and, and you know, what I would say to, to people um, is, you know, it's really easy to start thinking about the U.S. and China trading. And then we step back and we realize there is no U.S. and there is no China. It's just thousands and millions of people and businesses doing business with each other like it is in, you know, New York and California. And you know, it, it's very easy for us to assume this kind of chess match um, kind of kind of mode for looking at it and, and forget that it's all of these transactions that are happening. And I think Trump was the worst at that because he had, you know, this sort of boardroom kind of self, you know, narrative um, that he could kind of stare down anybody. Now, you know, one example of it, And these aren't easy questions, you know, is um, when they say China's pirating our intellectual property. Okay, well, that act, you know, does that mean China's pirating our intellectual property? No. Some people in China are pirating our intellectual property. Now, is the government of China doing enough to stop them from doing it? Well, I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. So so I've got a funny story.
0: Yeah. So I've got a funny story on that though. Like I've had kind of a shift in terms of my view of tariffs. And it's not that I suddenly think that tariffs are a great thing. I think that tariffs are bad. But my thing is, I think for a lot of libertarians, we tend to think that the world understands certain things. Or if they don't, we just have to go ahead and educate them more. And my thing with China, having witnessed it, is that um, it's not that we need to lecture China on the ethics of capitalism and the ethics of free trade. They know it better than most people might think they do. I mean, they're not stupid. They just don't care. And when it comes to, you know, the intellectual property argument, this is funny, I, I'm, a, I'm a big watch collector. And uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what Wish.com was until a few weeks ago. I thought it was just Uh online for shitty stuff. And I actually saw Tudor Black Bay 58 on Wish.com. That's a $5,000 watch. I I know that what I I looked at on Wish.com was a fake. It was $32. So what I want to do is I I bought the watch and I want to do a review on it just for fun. But the thing is like, you know, that's a $32 watch. The question is, how are they making money off of that? Well, the watch itself, even though I paid 32 American dollars, for it, they're probably selling it to me at a loss just based off the specs, assuming it has like a sapphire crystal and stainless stainless steel. That's on that movement, because you've got the, the you've got the Chinese government that just wants to see numbers. They just want to see that more people are buying this shit. So they don't care that these companies are running out of loss. What they want to see is that there's more demand and they'll go ahead and pump enough money to keep them going. So it's kind of like we're playing a game with people that know the rules and we know the rules and we're bound by the rules, but they're going to do whatever they want to do to cheat. Instead of calling them Mm -hmm. out, we're just going to go ahead and let them do their thing.
1: Uh, so I was waiting that whole time, and then you did it at the end. to, <laughs> to, uh, to No, no, this is a, this is a good thing. I was waiting for is for you to tie it to the Chinese government because before that, right? It's just some people in China somewhere doing this, right? I don't want to be held responsible for what my government does, um, whatever whatever that is. But um, but what you bring up about the numbers and the way that that's run. Um, and and of course, it's hard to tie that back to some specific piracy operation or something. But that is um, that is an important point. And there's a it was several years ago now, but um, there was a great Planet Money NPR podcast. I like them sometimes. I disagree with them other times. Um, but um, always pretty interesting. Where they basically went and looked at sort of China's GDP numbers and that sort of thing. And it's not that there's a national GDP number that the Chinese government knows, and then it's lying and saying it's higher to the world. They don't know what the number is. Right? I don't know if because I should be impressed each one of their or horrified. And states have inflated what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: Wait, so you're telling me so, you that they're lying to each but, other? They're lying to themselves? Well, well, yeah. They're <laughs>
1: right. So, so you know, even uh, you know, think uh, y- 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 if at level one everybody's lying then level two doesn't really know, and, <laughs> you know and, and who knows probably drill down and this gets to like specific businesses inflating their numbers and Oh like my god you know it's so which is why people have tried to use things like you know electricity consumption data and like light data from the night sky to <laughs> judge um, judge chinese growth but um look i i think it, what you say is important, um, in the sense that we live in the world we live in. Um, and maybe with trade, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but maybe with trade, I'm apt sometimes to kind of idealize a little bit more. Whereas in other places I'll say the government's not going away and and that sort of thing. Um, but, but, you know, that's, uh, that's definitely important to remember.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I didn't know that about the, about GDP in China. That's, yep. that's a new fact to me. And honestly, I can't tell if I'm horrified because of that, or I should feel better because they, they're, they, okay. they don't know And I mean.
1: Well, but- so remember the, the takeaway from that is also China isn't like one guy or a couple of guys. China's a lot of people,
0: a right? Lot and of the people. government's
1: a lot of people too, probably with warring camps. <laughs> that are you know all trying to like you know look at our government um like in, you know theirs may not be on twitter and and on c n n but um but there's there's stuff going on there that I'm sure is at least as untenable and intractable um, as 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 it is here, um and sometimes you know far away we we forget those things
0: yeah i uh <sighs> I, I worked after college, like I, I'd come out with a book, I had done political consulting. And at one point I was really down in my life and I ended up working a blue collar job. I was a mall cop and then I was a GameStop cashier. And I think mm-hmm. that that was one of those moments in my life where it was just really important for me to just kinda not talk and just listen because no one cares about how many degrees you have when they're asking for you to pull out the right video games. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the frustrations that I heard from a lot of people and I, I don't think I, I, people give me a strange look when I say this. I say that, you know, if you, if you identify as a Democrat or Republican, you're really not because the only people who those titles really freaking matter to are politicians. Because when you actually look at people and you take them issue by issue, they're probably a bit more fluid when it comes to stuff and they're willing to change their mind more to certain things than they would probably give themselves credit for Mm And I think regardless as to what we're afraid of when it when, you know, one party takes control or when another party takes control or when one person wins another person loses, isn't that we're just hoping they'll do the worst parts of that. I think half the time we're expecting them to be more economically and financially literate than us. Because if I've learned anything just listening to regular politically ap- you know, apathetic people, it's that across the board, no one really has a basic like elementary understanding of how things actually work and i think if they're incapable of doing that and i know for a fact that a lot of these politicians are just as freaking incapable i mean aoc to her credit she's got a master's in economics but she's dumb as shit when it actually comes to trying to put it out in policy that doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence i think at the time it's just worrying that people aren't dumb enough to make the wrong decisions
1: the line blurs and it's probably true on both sides between politicians and their electorate right because it's very um politically um advantageous at least in the short run for bernie sanders to say the billionaires did this or elizabeth warren to say you know the billionaires and and because it, you know if we see a corporation and it did something bad then our human nature and our, you know, desire for cause and effect wants to say, well, somebody must've done a bad thing. Right. And so that ends up sounding very common sense to people. Whereas, you know, and I understand that this is a big ask, you know, treating government and corporations and all the ways that we interact with each other as, you know, big, complex groups and networks and things. Um, you know, that's why we come up with all these wrong answers is because we want to, you know, put very simple stories over some of these things. But at the same time, you know, it's it's up to, you know, us, me as an economist, to, to figure out how to help people understand that.
0: If there's one thing you'll say that going forward, you, you hope we've learned just about how we handle pandemics. And, you know, obviously I don't think anybody, even, even your most strident lockdown people will ever say that, yeah, shutting down the entire American economy at a single moment is a smart idea. Do you think right. that there's any, any positives to come out of this? Because, I mean, COVID was real. And I think that yep. a lot of people would rather say that we overreacted then we underreacted. And when it, when you mm-hmm. look at just, you know, the the non-covid side of things, the number of people that are bankrupt, unemployed, the number of people that lost their business, the number of people that have killed themselves and I think the suicide numbers will not come out right. for a while because it's just in my gut, I think the suicide numbers are high and just the past yeah. year I know four people who have killed themselves. And, you know, I I don't think I don't think Trump wants it out. And I certainly don't think Biden, who was the lock, who was the lockdown king wanted wants those numbers out. So I think everyone for their own mutual assurance does not want the suicide numbers out. But I mean, are there any positives that come out of this? Because as I look at the situation, I see they've seen how much they can get away with. They see how much they can push people and they might do it again. But are there any positives overall?
1: So I'll tell you what this, uh, I'll give you something I think that this debate has been missing, that it would be positive if we could get, and then I'll, I'll tell you what my concern is. Um, I, I, I think I said on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and this sounds like a really wonky economist thing to say, but it's really a simple point, um, and I'll explain it, is that the biggest thing missing from our, all our discussions and our arguments and our policy about COVID is heterogeneity.
0: Okay. okay. Pretend Difference. I'm stupid. Pretend I'm stupid. Yeah. What is that?
1: Differences between people. Got it. <laughs> in every way conceivable. <laughs> just, just that people are different. Um, right. And I'll give you two quick examples. You know, one that um, you know we didn't seem that interested in um, doing extra things to show um, people in low income housing um, how to you know maybe take extra precautions. You know, we saw that, that, you know, transmission was really bad in low-income housing, and and the people that wrote articles about that said, well, we'll have to design more equitable cities in the future. Like, those people don't have time for you to design an an equitable solution, right? They they should be helped and, you know, engaged where they are. Um, Similarly, I think the just general closure of business and then the opening of, like, you know, The little diagrams where you're in phase one and you can open on this day and then you can open 12 days later and that sort of thing. That messes with a very complex ecosystem that local businesses can be together. And I think maybe putting more control in the individual's hands about saying, okay, limit the amount you go out and then let businesses open and close accordingly, I think could have saved a lot of pain without much cost in terms of transmission. Of course, I don't know. What I'm concerned about is that now our eye has gotten fixed on these viruses, right? Now, um, we're better at seeing them than we were even a year ago. And we were already, you know, you remember in the news, there were already viruses, there was bird flu and H1N1. and. I'm worried that every year we're going to see something now and we're going to say, oh, we have to, you know, and, and, and there's going to be a freak
0: out. There. Well, like COVID um, the sequel.
1: Yeah, except they're not <laughs> going to be as bad because maybe this was once in 50 years or once in a century. And now we're going to see a once in five years thing. And, um, you know, we're going to be having the same debate. And it, that could be really dangerous.
0: It's just um, so funny though what, what you said about the the people that were saying oh well you know we just need to design better cities I mean it, you you put that in an article like the New Yorker or something and it sounds really smart Trump would say shit like that like you know what we need to do for these lower income cities we just need to build better ones and it's stupid yeah. they say it and they they get it in an article and it's like wow that that that's something that's really worth doing I think the, the big thing and I think uh you know I think you may agree with this is the fact that you know from what I've been gathering off of everything you've said. The problem is the world is far too complex and major economies are far too complex for any central person or power to have full control over. And as simple as that might sound to us, that is realistically a very revolutionary and radical thing for a majority of Americans.
1: Exactly. And we need to figure out how to put that into practice more um in in you know practical reality rather than just um in in theory Um, and i don't pretend that's not a very hard thing so um hopefully that's a challenge that that i
0: can work on and have some help with (laughs) well so somebody's gotta do the work max thank you so much i've learned a lot from this i know the listeners have learned a lot with this uh if anyone wants to follow your work keep up with everything you do how could they do so
1: um, I think the best way right now um, is uh, for Twitter. Um, and I'm Max G, as in Galker. So Max G underscore econ. And maybe you can put that in the show notes or something.
0: Yep, absolutely. Folks, if you okay. want to go ahead and follow Max on Twitter, I'll make sure to include everything in the show notes today. Everything else, he's got some articles that I read before the show that gave me some insight. I'm also going to include those in the show notes. And as always, please, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on iTunes goes a long way, gets this message out there, keeps the show going. As always, thank you so much again. You can follow me across the internet Hey Remso on Parlor at Remso, R-E-M-S-O. Be good. Take care. And I'll talk to you later in the week. Good night.
1: Check out our other shows and more from the We
0: Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.